This episode is a sponsored partnership by Keen. So, you finally decided that you want to seek psychic advice. But now you're just sitting there and you're asking yourself, why Keen? Shouldn't I just look into psychics near me? It would probably be a lot easier. Our response? Why would you? Keen connects you with talented tarot readers and astrologers. If you want to get a reading on Keen, it's super easy to start. They've been giving trustworthy readings since 1999, over 35 million to be exact. All you have to do is create an account, and you'll be able to choose from hundreds of readers who are online right now. These readers each have unique specialties designed to provide a deeper understanding of your situation. Want to learn more about your love life? What's your financial future look like? Are you looking for a closure from a deceased loved one? Keen has a reader ready to provide clarity and insight. You can choose whichever reader best suits your needs, and you'll be able to connect via phone call or text. Just go to trykeen.com potential. As a new customer on Keen, you can try your first 10 minutes for only $1.99, which is up to $99 in savings. Once again, that's trykeen.com potential. Get your first 10 minutes for $1.99. And remember, know your potential. Talking all things entertainment, pop culture, and nerdum. This is The Potential Podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Potential Podcast. How are we doing, Taylor? We're doing well. You know what, Chris? This year is just flown by. I mean, this is like what? November's around the corner. This year has been an incredible journey of sorts, if you will. It has. It's been an odyssey. It's been a sojourn. It's been a quest. What a fellowship you and I have overcome this year. Oh, you know, just us two towers of podcast hosting. Um, And we got uh, that awesome Elvis movie, Return of the King, uh, you know, himself. So uh, I was going to say, what we'll probably do is we'll, we'll at one point, we'll just stop the podcast for like 12 years and then we'll come back uh, as Rangers and restart. <laughs> okay. If you don't get the point already, folks, I can't even get over my excitement of finally, we've been wanting to do this since season one, but I knew I had to wait. I had to wait for this moment. We're finally doing an episode on Middle Earth, on Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, everything. We're doing it all. Token, man, he is the man. He's not with us anymore, but man, what a world he created. And if you think about it, every fantasy movie you probably love has some thing that was influenced because of what he wrote. And of course, the movies. We love the movies and we're here to talk about it. But we're not going to talk about it alone. No, you know what? We need. Let's see. I am our elf. And then Taylor, you are our dwarf. So we do need our third member. Um, So who's joining us on our fellowship today to talk about Lord of the Rings? Well, I'm excited about this guest because we actually, this is a second time that we're going to have a family member, well, a future family member for me. Uh, Today's guest, he is a Lord of the Rings super fan, maybe rival you, Chris. Uh, Please welcome my future cousin-in-law and my fiance's actual cousin, Mitch Golden. Mitch, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, well, 
Mitch, it's so good to have you here and love a fellow fan of Lord of the Rings. I do really feel that, you know, there's fandoms for every fantasy sci-fi, uh, you know, series out there. But there really is a diehard nature when it comes to fans of Middle Earth. And I don't really feel there's, there's like, I don't feel like there's a lot of like separate camps. I feel like you're all in or you're not. Yes. Um, there's definitely maybe levels of super fandom. But, you know, when it comes to these films and these books, my only like complaint that I've ever heard most people bring up is the typical one. It's just a lot of walking. Well, you know what? They didn't have all the tools back then in these books and these series. But you know, that's like the only thing I think people complain about. Otherwise, even like a general fan would probably watch these movies and be just really amazed by the storytelling, the craftsmanship. And I mean, even that we've talked about before, Taylor, book to film adaptations are extremely difficult because often they have to cut a bunch of stuff We've seen some really bad ones, but we've seen some great ones. Lord of the Rings that Peter Jackson did, as much as I love it, is not a true like like page to film, you know, exact adaptation. But for what it is, it is the best version we're ever going to get. I, I this will never be outdone. So I'm gonna start with you, Mitch. Prior to the movies coming out, had you read The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings? Well, uh, prior to the movies coming out, I was pretty young when Lord of the Rings came out. The first one, I think it came out in, what was it, 2001? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So 2001, I would have been seven. So okay. I was not so, reading. Probably not. not reading the Lord of the Rings like, wow, at that he's point. very advanced. <laughs> but uh, when the uh, last one came out, it was in 2003, I believe. I actually went and saw that one in theaters with my dad. That was one of the first times I've ever gotten to see a movie like that, you know, in theaters. It, like, blew my mind and been a super fan ever since that. And you can imagine that, like, one of the first, like, I'm sure you'd seen some Disney movies and other things, but, like, first big epic experience to go see Return of the King. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, that's pretty cool. What about you, Taylor? Had you read any of the books prior to seeing any of the films? No, it's funny though, because I did get the first three books as a gift, still collecting dust in my parents' house. So I never even opened it. I know I need to, I know, but it's funny that, you know, Mitch brought up his experience for me. I saw the midnight release as well. Midnight release. Like I saw like the, I think the Thursday release of all three of them with my grandfather, that was kind of like my introduction to really that material. And I remember like seeing those like these you know late night and watching these and i just do remember just kind of being blown away but it's funny yeah i had not really read any material or anything like that i knew about it but yeah some fond memories watching all three of those films in theaters i definitely had not read any of tolkien's books prior to seeing the first film but i definitely remembered at some point i had rented the animated hobbit film that came out um from like the library um, I remember watching that. I don't think I had seen any of there. There's the there's the Lord of the Rings that was done like in the 80s or 70s. That um, is a very interesting. It's like half animated, half live action at points. I didn't really see any of that, but I saw the Hobbit that was animated. But for me, it, it, similar in a way, I would go. It was the Friday right before the two week winter break from school. 
So the last, the first one came out eighth grade. So my last year of middle school and then freshman and sophomore year, me and my friends, it was always a half day at school for that Friday. So we'd be out by like 1230 or so. We always got tickets for like the first showing after that. And we would go and see the movie and then we'd sneak into another movie. So even though we saw a really long movie, we then, I remember, I think the first, I think we did fellowship with the Jimmy Neutron movie. And then I think we did two towers with, um, with uh, the last bond movie of Pierce Brosnan. Oh, wow. It was out at the same time. Um, we didn't do one for return of the King. That movie was so long. I remember the first time I started turning the King, I was like, I think I had to pee roughly an hour left and I held that sucker because I was like, I'm not missing a second of this movie. And then we get to like 40 endings and I'm like, it's still going. But I mean, yeah. it's so if you're cool, a fan so. of these films, it's like you have a, you know, intense love of the films and you have a really good bladder. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've never read Taylor, the books. Have you read the Hobbit? I have not. So I've not read. Okay. Them. So you've not read anything. Taylor doesn't read. Um, he can't read it all. Actually, <laughs> I don't, know how them. He, don't know how he survives in life. Yeah. Skimmed them. Have you ever read the books, Mitch, now that you are you know, of age to read material like Lord of the Rings? Have you read the books? So I was talking to Taylor earlier and I told him that I did buy the book. Um, I'm a little bit through uh, Lord of the Rings, but I was into Game of Thrones before that. So I read the first Game of Thrones book before this. So Ooh, and I've been dabbling in a little Harry Potter and all that other stuff. Too, okay, but. good. Well, I kind of like in a way that it's it's something that maybe influences you to check out other uh you know, series within the genre of fantasy. Uh, even uh, George R. R. Martin has heavily talked about how much Tolkien was a big inspiration for him. Um, but then, of course, him taking it to even more of an adult content with, as yes. we all know, how Game of Thrones can get. <laughs> yeah. um, but as we're here to talk about Lord of the Rings, okay, for the films themselves, we're talking about these three films, 2001, 2002, 2003, all released a year apart, which even nowadays with most films is pretty incredible. I mean, inconceivable. you got to think about we're waiting on these four avatar sequels that (laughs) I guarantee you it's going to be like, all right, avatar two, finally 2022. And then it's also, isn't the third one supposed to be out the next year? Uh, No, it's probably gonna be three years from now, maybe four. This is crazy that they filmed all three of these back to back and all in New Zealand. Uh, you know, I think for most people, New Zealand was a country you read about in school when it was like, oh, there's Australia over there. And that was like, you know, especially for America, you've never had a chance to go. I think a lot of us look at Australia from like movies we know, you know, Down Under movies, Crocodile Dundee. Yeah, Finding Nemo, you know. <laughs> you know, New Zealand was, New Zealand's just like this place you hear of, but it's not like something that we really knew. We thought it was Australia light. Like it's yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then to think of this, movie franchise like becoming like such real looking sets and obviously a lot of the scenes are right there on these locations new zealand became a thing that was like now it's the hot ticket to go to because lord of the rings and i think this is the first film to really have something like that Uh, there's a lot of films where it's like oh i really like that because it makes me think of the state or this country but nothing's done for a country like lord of the rings has done i think for New Zealand. Thinking of the movies, Mitch, what is the first thing that really stands out to you about the trilogy that Peter Jackson directed? What's like the first thing that really you ever like cling to or like what is the thing about like why 
you rewatch them maybe so often. I mean, like I know I, I don't do it every year, but like I've rewatched these movies and usually the extended cut many, many times. So like, what is it that stands out to you the most right off the bat? I think they really set the stage right from the beginning and they get right into the plot and they kind of teach you about like the backstory and everything. And the first movie isn't really the most and exciting, a lot of action in it, but it really sets the stage for everything else that's to come. And um, obviously when you think of Lord of the Rings, you think of fight scenes, you think of these great scenes where Legolas is going down on his shield down the steps and throwing people with five arrows. And then the shield goes through another orc's chest these crazy scenes that are just from back then in 2001 and how good they were shot still are valid today when you watch it. And that's, I think what makes you want to come back and keep watching it because it's still good, no matter whether it was 21 years ago or whether it's today, it's shot so well with all the scenery and everything too. Like, even like you said, you're walking a lot, like earlier you said it was a lot of walking, but like some of that walking and the scenery around it and everything is just, it kind of brings the movie to life a little bit. And even the trees and everything, like all, there's so many things to the movie that kind of bring a different aspect to it, but it all resolves to the same ending, which is which is cool. Yeah, I, I, one thing I've always loved about Peter Jackson's battle style is the use of like sound effects and music building right until the clash, and then the music just cuts out, and it's just like this is what war is. This is what a battle is. It's not pretty. It is ugly. Obviously, it doesn't get to the gore level of like a Game of Thrones, which obviously that's kind of an appreciated level for. This is still a fantasy family-ish series. You know, it's like... They're trying to make it accessible without diluting it. Yeah. Yes. Um, but man, that's always been like... I, I remember like first time seeing Two Towers and that scene when they're... They're trying to make it to Helm's Deep and then, you know, the the wargs show up and they're like, all right. And it's just like horses on one side. And is that one shot? He does it so cool where like it pans to the left and then pans to the right and back. And it's dun, 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 clink, clink, ching, ching, and just battle sounds. And you're just like, holy crap, this is insane. And like the way the way they shot Legolas getting back up onto his horse in that same exact scene <laughs> the that there's a fantasy element for me that Lord of the Rings does that no other series has outdone. And I do think a lot of it is the realism of the sets, the costumes. There is CGI used in ways that you never notice. And that's, that's remarkable for a film that is now 20 years old when we're so bombarded with CGI. And when we talk about The Hobbit later, how that was uh, heavily much more CGI, it just looks very real. Like... I have read all the Lord of the Rings. I don't remember. I might have read the Hobbit by now since I saw the Hobbit films. But there's just scenes that stick out. Like still, I think Fellowship is still my favorite of the three because I love like how the journey begins, the fantasy of it. The ring race, especially for me, are very memorable. And all of Moria is some of the best of the whole franchise. But that scene on the road where like they're they're under that like tree. And the one ring wraith shows up and it's like gets off and is like, you just see like the way like all the armor looks is so realistic. And just like grabbing that log and like making the bugs come out and just the fear and the first chance you really see Frodo to be like, oh, he's this ring is not just something that's like, it's not just a ring that really has power to it. You know, it's very cool. 
there's attention to detail and then there's the, these films and and i do remember like i think there's a good mix of the have the magic and the mystical elements but there's also this real like although this is set in this middle earth this is set in a fictional there's a bit of that realism and the brutality you're talking about how yes it's it's very accessible for almost families i mean it's, it is it's borderline pg-13 where you know you see an orchid air through the eyeball and things like that but it's it's still enough that it was brutal enough though i do i can remember in the whole wizard battle that gandalf first happens and i'm just like and he's getting slammed around and i'm just like oh my god this is intense and i just remember those little moments where i was like there was as a young guy because i mean i again just a little bit older i saw these you know i'm 11 and chris you were 12 almost 13 you know, we're like watching this and like, it's, it's just, there's these, like you said, the use of the sounds and like the bone crunching and this, you know, it's like, it's very visceral and very real that I think it's one of those. And we, we talk about this and I, I think you'll agree, Mitch, there is, there's nothing better than seeing a film in theaters. I think there's certain movies that you could see at home. still okay. I think horror films are even better at home because it's a little scary. It's dark. But there's a movie like that where you have to see your first time seeing it, you have to see in theaters because you are in the thick of it. It's just like it's one of those. It's like it's it's like Star Wars or uh, like one of those where if you see it in movie theaters, it, it changes your life compared to when you've seen it and just in your house. Like when I saw that in movies, like if they would bring it back into theaters, like I swear they bring Avatar back every month to the theaters again. I would go I see it. <laughs> you would think you would think that I mean obviously the the pandemic was one thing but uh if these if these came back and like and they had like updated 4k imax all that stuff i mean i'd be like i'd be there because i do think that is maybe a big reason why they've stuck with me so much was i saw them in the prime time of my life to see what like but really i think the target audience of like the hobbit is meant to be more of kind of a children's version of like what middle earth is although it still has some moments in it and then the films kind of went a little overboard with that. But Lord of the Rings is kind of like that young adult, just like a Star Wars, like, you know, Frodo, it's a coming of age tale. It's a coming of age story. Some parts of it. Oh, yeah. And a lot of a lot of the traits of our characters are those heroes journey. We have a lot of the stock characters within this franchise. But I think maybe it was like I'm seeing this right when I'm like kind of, you know, 12, 13. It's just like a young boy with wide eyes watching this like i remember this is like this is how dated this is gonna be we talked about this when we did our movie trailer episode when i heard that there was a trailer out for the fellowship of the ring this is when i had dial up mitch won't know what this is um i, <laughs> um, I had dial up i remember like i wanted to watch the trailer i had to like have my computer buffer this thing for like three hours i'll be back like, to watch the trailer <laughs> <in> the sandwich <laughs> like it took so long and that was like the internet of the day. Now, of course, you can watch it on YouTube over and over again in a blink of an eye. But I think maybe that is. It's like maybe depending on when you see it in your life, why it sticks with you and why you watch it over and over again. Another thing, too, is obviously a lot of these kind of franchises, there is those characters that you relate to or you connect to. And we got to go into cast here. I think if, you know, there's the production value side that, of course, we all love from the sets, the costumes, the locations. 
the music is incredible, all that. But a lot of this movie, of course, also relies on your cast. And there's not a weak link in this cast. This cast is top notch. And it's kind of fun also to, you know, if you've watched any behind the scenes to see that not everyone that was in this movie originally was picked to be in this movie. But I mean, this cast is incredible. Of course, we have Elijah Wood and Sean Astin, Billy Boyd, Dominic Monaghan. Here is our, our hobbit uh, with Sir Ian Holm as Bilbo. Um, just incredible. And I think. Another thing, too, that I think is remarkable is the camera tricks and how they used, um, you know, stand ins and stunt doubles and all that stuff to really make them look tiny. Yeah. Like, like Sir Ian McKellen, who I mean, this is the thing, too, about you think this would have been the time when I don't think any of us knew who Sir Ian McKellen was, at least for Americans, at least Americans until X-Men and Lord of the Rings. And then he was the hot commodity. This is a man who's done theater for years and other films. We probably wouldn't have heard of his name. Now he's just Gandalf. That's just who he is. The, the, those characters just are incredible to me, the casting. But the way they would make him look very, very tall and very grand, very small for the Hobbits, all that. The camera tricks, too, are just like, it baffles me how some of those shots are done. You're just like, that's so real looking. It's crazy. It's crazy how they did all that. When you have Gandalf going into Bilbo's house and trying to get inside, and it's just like the way they do camera tricks and do that is, is very neat. He always hits his head on that chandelier. Yeah. <laughs> and they even do that when it comes into The Hobbit too. And, and I have all, all the dwarves in there throwing around all the plates and everything. They use a lot of camera trickery with everything. And I think we have Orlando Bloom in his first film ever. What a film. Can you imagine you're, you're in film school in London or, and then he gets this audition and they're like, yeah, you're going to be uh, the elf in Lord in of the three Rings. three movies, back to back to back. So your, your next three years are good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, what a wow. Um, and John Reese davies as Gimli. The two of them bringing that odd couple humor uh, to these films and something that I really enjoyed too about and again, it goes to that whole, like, they really spell out the lore for you. You can't really watch these movies and be, you might be confused by certain names and location names. Well, can let's, be a little let's, let's just put this out there. I was going to say that. And you can, what do you image? I would say looking at Lord of the Rings and looking at what we're watching, and, and we'll talk about this because um, of the references. But if I look at Game of Thrones, when I watched the first season to Lord of the Rings as a young kid, it's so much more accessible. You kind of understand a little bit more. You don't, it doesn't really matter the names, but it's so much more understandable than all these other plot things going on with like Game of Thrones. I had to like Wikipedia search the first two seasons. It was like, what, what is happening? Who's who? At least with Lord of the Rings, it, it really made sense. Everyone, you knew who, who's who and stuff like that. I feel a big part of that too is there's, there's less, within the world of Lord of the Rings, there's like, six as we kind of see there's like six seven species if you will that we really follow now of course game of thrones it's all men and then there's like bits of fantasy within that but there's so many houses and so many locations so yeah of course it's like maddening to think and of course in lord of the rings there's a lot more characters and places that are cut for the movie because it just would be too much but you can you can kind of watch the movie and if you don't remember legolas or Boromir 
you kind of get, okay, there's men, there's elves, there's dwarves, and there's hobbits. And those are really like our good guys. And then there's orcs. And that's really bad. Like orcs and goblins. And you get like, oh, Sauron's the bad guy. Oh, we have wizards. There's only two we have to really worry about in this film. <laughs> exactly. One's a good one and one's a bad one. Okay, that makes sense. If you go back to read the novels or, of course, um, the extended you know book he wrote on history, it goes into, which is why I think some of Rings of Power gets a little confusing with, there's that's where it starts to be like, oh, these are all brand new names and new characters. And minus like Galadriel and Sauron, you know. But I do think, yeah, it's it's a it's a fairly easy thing, easy story to follow, even though it is complex at times. But there is a lot of characters, and that's difficult. I think that's a that's a hard thing. I mean, you got Sean Bean in here and Viggo Mortensen as our two our two men, uh, if you will, the the race of men, and they're both great. I love Vigo was originally not cast in this role they cast another actor and they had already started filming it wasn't working out and he literally got a call and was like would you want to come to new zealand for like 18 months to film lord of the rings and his son was like dad you gotta go play aragorn go (laughs) he's like uh hello that's a great role for you go so glad that he actually uh was you know done by his son but um yeah this cast is incredible um and you got you got sir christopher lee up in here as mm-hmm. Saruman, the biggest Tolkien nerd who was on the planet prior to his passing. And that's just a great thing, too, is I think unless you were maybe a horror fan of like old Dracula movies and, you know, the Witcher and uh, not the Witcher, uh, the Wicker Man and like stuff that he'd done before. This was another time where it's like you're seeing him in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings at the same time. So it's like these two older vets who are bringing these incredible characters to life finding this like huge promise, you know, praise on the big screen at the same time. It's pretty cool. Wasn't Ian McKellen originally, he was asked to be Dumbledore for the Harry Potter films. He was, I think. And yeah. he, did he turn it down? I think he turned it down. Well, the other one that's interesting to hear, and this is kind of sad. Even fun though facts I have, here. I have fun facts. I, I do enjoy this movie. I'm going to bring up, but it's kind of fun to think that he passed on this. Sean Connery passed on Gandalf because he didn't understand the story. <laughs> And wow. the movie he picked up at that time instead was The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Which, had that movie been done right, although I still have a soft spot for it because, again, it was at that time when it was like, we're just young and I'm like, it's a, it's a dumb movie with all these, you know, book heroes. I'm like, that's kind of cool. It's like Tom Sawyer and this guy and blah, blah, blah. Had that movie maybe, ter- you know, become a franchise, maybe that would have worked out. But, like, he, he passed on Gandalf. Yeah, but he missed out on the big bag there. Oh my god! Imagine <laughs> he could have, he could have, he could have. I felt like Sean Connery could have pulled that off. I mean, I think because we see Ian McKellen, it's like I don't want anyone else. But it would have been very interesting to see Sean Connery's take. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, a, that's the thing is like I we've seen other movies that you know have had like a remake. This wouldn't surprise me if down the line at some point there is a new version told. It could be like 50 years from now, you know, so it's like a real long time. But you have to imagine someone else is going to play these roles. But yeah, Ian McKellen, you, you can't unsee him. And of course, it was like, yeah, it's a three film project. So here's your rate for the three films. We're doing it all together. And then 10 years later, uh, Ian, uh, we need you back. And he's like, well, 
Moneybags is back for old Gandalf. Huh? <laughs> and I'm sure that time he got to be like, you want me back in the movie? Uh, I will take twice. As, you know, I'm sure he was the slides to... slides a napkin of the price. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is my acting price. Hello, Hobbit. I'm back. I mean, I did want to bring up before we uh, there's another character I want to really talk about. But I mean, just, you know, we do bring a box office sometimes. That is another big thing about this. This franchise is not only did it make amazing movies and had great reviews and won Oscars. I mean, Return of the King won all 11 Oscars. It was nominated for. It was a clean sweep, including best picture, a thing fantasy never gets. Fantasy never gets rewarded for like best picture. And it won as the Peter Jackson. He won best director. The three films combined worldwide have almost made $3 billion. Wow. So like they're also very financially successful and that is a huge deal for fantasy, which is why I think after Lord of the Rings came out, we saw a huge boom in fantasy franchises. Not all that did very well. I mean, obviously Harry Potter did very well, had more movies to rely on, but you think about like, it, it's not just, Oh, the film was done very well. It's good adaptation. The cast is great. No, it was backed up by it actually made a lot of money. It was clearly very popular. But what I want to talk about, because I think it's a groundbreaking character within the film series that now, I mean, even look at 10 years later when we talk about The Hobbit, how that evolved. But to think of Andy Serkis getting to play Gollum and really like the first true motion capture character done on screen to a very like great way. Um, and it's funny if you go back and look at photos of him he's really just like in a set of like white rags like he's not in a suit that has like all the dots that that didn't exist then and so you watch the movie and although some of his cgi has kind of you know not aged the best a lot of it still looks incredible and the way he brought that character to life is brilliant and i would agree at the time if, if that had been a thing, he should have been nominated for sporting actor for that role because of how he did that. Yeah, he, it, that was one of the most impressive characters out of it all, the whole movie. And he kind of brought the story along with it. You know, every movie he kind of brought the hobbits along and took them down the path. And he kind of was part of that journey. But the way he was played was incredible. Well, just even even though it's a CGI character, Circus, like, first of all, put himself on the map for years to come obviously not the not the only two times well i mean technically was he partly in fellowship like he's not really on screen but he's he in was... return of the king he's in return of the king uh as an actual like you know not Gollum. i think he it's hard to tell with fellowship if he actually i think his voice was definitely input for that um I don't know if he actually played the the two like three times you see Gollum kind of like in the shadows. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think for even just creating not only just an iconic character, but adding the gravitas where you just, I mean, it's not, it's a CGI character, but you're feeling all the emotion. Like you hate him, you love him, you feel for this character. And obviously Circus would go on to work with him doing like King Kong and, uh, obviously doing the Planet of the Apes remake movies. And it's just like Circus just is, can do no wrong. I think when they added that like split personality aspect to him, like, and they kind of clear clarified that going along, kind of gave you more sympathy towards that character. And you, that 
kind of created that love hate relationship with him because he'd be one side and he'd be so nice and then he'd be trying to kill them right after well that scene you know? when he's talking to himself and it was just uh-huh. so well done it was just like it's <laughs> just the the eyes would change it was like he would glare when he was it was uh gollum and he'd be all bug-eyed when he's smeagol it makes you really freaked out but then it also kind of makes you sympathetic towards the character as well it kind of brought a lot of feelings towards that well it just i love how much it really paints the picture of what the ring really is how like you know you look at voldemort in harry potter and the point of that character is he's the big bad but he has the Horcruxes where he's he, he's put part of his soul in different objects. So you can't kill him unless you kill everything. I wonder where she got that idea from. Huh. She got it from Lord of the Rings because that is what Sauron is. Sauron has put his spirit into this ring. His malice is evil and you can't destroy him unless you destroy the ring. And the way that the ring corrupts the mind and we start to see how that's affecting Frodo over the journey and how Sam continuously tries to help him and is by his side even at the darkest moments but you see how Gollum is like Frodo's kind of getting back Smeagol back to it and he's kind of maybe for the first time in hundreds of years had a friend that actually is like treating him with something of respect so there's that part of him that you feel like oh he's gonna he's gonna be good but you're like no he has he has an eternal demon Gollum who always wants the ring and no matter what craves for it and then you also see um frodo as he goes along kind of showing similarities to Gollum and how he acts you know as he holds the ring for longer yeah it's like he's a good that mirroring that kind of effect so i feel like a lot of the movie are kind of wondering whether the end result is going to be him if he holds it for long enough if it impacts him long enough is he gonna end up like something like that as well you know down the road and even that scene with uh with bilbo when they're in rivendell he's like Oh, my old ring. I'd like to hold it one last time. Ah, he, oh my he basically God, becomes like a, his face kind of becomes Gollum for like a second. And you're like, oh, this is like a thing. And then he's and then but I love how instantly Bilbo's like, I'm so sorry, my boy. I put this horrible burden on you. And it's like you just see how that's a connected tissue with like, oh, hobbits are going to change the world, whether it's good or bad. But this ring really means business and i think that's the thing is a lot of time the joke of like obviously there's all the sexual jokes of like putting the ring on and like all that stuff but it's like this thing really is that powerful and the lore of all the kingdoms having their rings and the the, the men the rings of men had you know they they all succumb to the darkness and now are the ring race like there's just cool stuff like that and mordor is crazy i mean the thing too is all the orcs and the evil things. I mean, the Balrog is so freaking cool. All the orcs are pretty practical, which is really nice. Obviously, there's probably some shots when it's like a lot of them that are CGI, but a lot of the scenes are like stuntmen from New Zealand in these suits. The battles are insane. The way that Sauron actually looks, he got better in the second movie. They made him a little more circular eye in the first movie, and then he became more of like an actual like more like what you know people cat eye but that whole the whole tower the volcano mount doom everything just looks so cool and so yeah it is like it's one of those things where like even though i know that they have to finally have the ring destroyed and like good will win there's just that part of you it's like 
well, now I need to start it over because I like all the danger and how it's like really unbeatable odds. The whole walking part of it, which I'm like, <laughs> I get the people that are like, why don't they just fly on the Eagles? And that's that what I was going to say. You know? yeah. And I'm like, I think they really set it up that like the Eagles are a race that don't just come and help when they want. They're well, also they're the very... idea that Sauron can see everything. So they have to be, they have to kind of sneak through. Yeah. And that's like, I think that's what it is, is like, I, I remember once saying a map, who knows if this is accurate. It's probably just someone that, you <laughs> it's know, like, have you been to like, Middle Earth? <laughs> no, it was like, okay, if you want to know what it probably was like, it was something like walking from like Michigan down to Florida, or it, it was like, they kind of put a map of like, like on the United States. And it was like, this is how long Bilbo took to walk from the Shire to the misty mountains and then this one was like frodo going to mordor and it was like yeah it would take you like even the fact that uh, frodo at the end of the movie he's like it's been 13 months to the day that we set out from the shire that we're finally coming home so you're like this whole journey took over a year so yeah it's gonna be a lot of walking yeah <laughs> deal with it but okay so yeah the film's they, they still stand up very well. Obviously, we had the extended cuts, which were really cool. Um, yeah. If you thought three hours was not enough, well, guess what? You get another 30, 40 minutes. Um, I think Return <laughs> of the Kings extended is well over four hours. Yeah, I think it's like four and a half. It's funny looking at this. Uh, the three films combined, combined theatrical, 558 minutes. Uh, extended, combined, 686 minutes. <laughs> it's like, okay. Hey, it's a lot, but it's worth it. The thing, though, okay, so obviously the DVDs and now it's on streaming is I do wonder, yeah, I wonder if we're ever going to have a remake of it. I do feel like it's something that probably won't be touched for a long time because they are so pristine. The same like Harry Potter. I could see down the line like Harry Potter being redone as well. But um, how do you think, Mitch, these films will hold up, say, 20 30 50 years from now there's all these movies we look at that came out in like the 60s the 70s like you know the godfather and stuff like that where it's like just these pristine movies that even though they look old and maybe don't have all the bells and whistles that we have nowadays though they're better than most films you see of the year lord of the rings is exactly that for fantasy it's just top notch do you think it's ever gonna diminish or you feel like it's just gonna stay where it's at as prime real estate for for film fans i don't think it's really ever gonna leave the nostalgia that that it creates already um it has such an impact and the cinematography front to finish is just perfect and i think 20 years from now just like we are watching star wars like we mentioned before and everything else i think it will withstand time and i believe people will still be watching it now whether we do get a sequel or whether we get something else uh, a remake of, of it of sorts that could be up to interpretation but i don't really know whether we actually will have a remake on this ever i don't, I don't know whether i think it's just one of those that i don't know if can be done and done to this of quality or should so, be done or well, should be well, done in general yeah well let me think think of it like this like okay the original star wars trilogy i mean that was made you know years ago but we've just they've been either doing sequels prequels or in betweenquels and then expanding the universe. Same thing with now what we're we're seeing, not just with the, um, Tolkien's stuff, but also all these other other properties that I think 
if they're smart, if they wanted to do something, maybe not film, because I don't think because of what Peter Jackson did, I don't think any other filmmaker may go to this extent of like, I'm going to do all these like pretty much back to back with like a couple touch-ups here and there over the course of that many years, especially with an ensemble cast. It's so difficult because you think of all these, you know, uh, as an actor and, you know, Chris being theater uh, primarily throughout his entire you know career it's tough when you like you get contracted for certain things like oh, i'm here for this part but to, like oh, i've got to commit for this so long where i could do multiple projects that's, that's a, a long time like if they all these people really had faith in the project to be there that long because yes they could have been filming other things at the same time or doing theater or doing tv or whatever but glad that they did because it really did become something that is so memorable and speaking of prequels let's take a quick break when we come back we're going to talk about the next chapter of middle earth which is really a prequel to little rings the hobbit hey potential podcast listeners let's talk about today's sponsor let's get checked let's get checked makes professional health testing easy by letting you get tested without having to visit a healthcare provider. You can order a testing kit that will be delivered to you in discreet packaging. Once your sample arrives in the laboratory, confidential results will be available from your secure online account within two to five days. These results are reviewed by a clinician, and a member of the Let's Get Checked nursing team may call you to review your results. And Let's Get Checked laboratories are CLIA approved and CAP accredited, which are the highest ranking levels of accreditation. So, if you want to avoid an uncomfortable office visit or prefer the convenience and get tested at home, visit trylgc.com potential and get 25% off your test using code POTENTIAL25. Once again, that's 25% off your test by going to trylgc.com slash potential using the promo code POTENTIAL25. Take charge of your physical health and well-being and let's get checked. Hello, Middle Earth. It's me, Doromir, and do I have a deal for you? We got more doors on sale now than ever before. Come to our Mordor warehouse to get more doors now. I went to Doromir for new doors in my forest home. He kept a weathered eye on the horizon and found me the best deal. Sixteen new doors, all right on target. Four alone from my garage. That still only counts as one. We have more doors for everyone in all sizes. Men, elves, dwarves, hobbits, wizards, even doors for ants and trolls. I went to Doromir with many questions. We had one door, yes. What about a second door? Sliding door? A pantry? A cupboard, maybe? Even a garden gate? We had them all fully stocked. You can even customize your doors with any and all logos using our prancing pony printing. I rode for four days to get a new ruin added to my door. Doromir saw to it personally. It simply reads, You shall not pass. Don't want intruders now, do we? And don't forget about all our new Sauron security systems. We got an eye to watch over your home while you're out questing for months at a time. My purchase came with the one-wing security camera. 
Now, stupid fat hobbitses can't trespass. Alum, alum, alum. Jenny, my love. It is my precious. So come on down to Dormir's Doors in Mordor for more doors than you can ever carry. All sales are final. And we're back. We're back from second breakfast and lunch and dinner and supper, afternoon tea, all of that. It was delicious, wasn't it? Wasn't it, friends? It was. Oh, it was delightful. Well, of course, it was something that went through a lot of process. And we were going to get a very different take on Middle Earth that ultimately didn't end up happening. There was talk that Guillermo del Toro was going to come in to direct The Hobbit. Uh, to do like a two film to adapt that uh, with a new joint venture. The whole Lord of the Rings was all just new line cinema. This was going to be Warner Brothers with new line cinema. That went through a lot of weird process. At some point it was happening. And then eventually it just fell back to Peter Jackson to direct. And that became a three film, a three part film series for one book that is shorter than any of the books in Lord of the Rings. Um, I mean, I'm always happy to be back in Middle Earth and spend time in that world. But even I have to be like, we did not need three movies. We could have done this in two. But it was exciting to think, okay, well, we did the film series of Lord of the Rings. We had this whole book of The Hobbit of Bilbo's journey. And with the dwarves and, of course, Gandalf back. And I thought this was going to be a cool way to tell this story with this visual world that Peter Jackson has set up with New Zealand and to see what that story was all about. And uh, so what was your first take about The Hobbit, Mitch? And was it one that instantly grabbed you? Did it feel like, I'm still back in this world, but it feels different. Um, how did how did it land for you with the first time you saw The Hobbit? I definitely felt like I was back in that world, but it was definitely different. And it was something that didn't hit that same nostalgic factor that I think Lord of the Rings had. Um, it's actually one I watched I, when I watched all three movies. I really wasn't a huge fan of them. And then I feel like it was a couple of years later, I rewatched them and I rewatched them more recently. And it kind of captured my eye a little more catching a lot of the small details in between that you sometimes miss after just watching it once. But um, I don't think it has that same nostalgia that Lord of the Rings kind of brings to the table. Still a very good series though. Yeah. Still, still enjoyable movies. Um, I, I definitely agree with you. What about you, Taylor? Um, I do remember. I really did get excited about it because Again, I feel like of the three of us, I'm the least diehard LOTR fan, and I do apologize. <laughs> All of a sudden, a thousand nerds cried out in uh, protest. <laughs> um, An arrow just shot through the screen, and oh. Taylor's. <laughs> and uh, I uh, still counts as one. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I I really enjoyed them, but enjoyed Hobbit. But yeah, I think it was almost like if it was a different director, I'd been like, okay. But because it's Peter Jackson, I think we expected more. Even though this is a prequel, we're like, okay, he's going to go even bigger, better. But it's again, like you said, Chris, right then and there, 
You have one book that's shorter than all three Lord of the Rings and you are stretching it very thin. And I, I could feel it in the first movie that this, this material for this first film was very thin. It just, it was almost like there was a little bit more as we see now with movies or prequels, there was a little bit more of that, huh? Huh? That's a little reference to the, the other movie I did. It was kind of a little like that. Yeah. For me, I think, yes, I think I've come to appreciate them more as I've watched them a couple times now. I've rewatched these, these, this film franchise, this trilogy at least. Um, I think the biggest issue is one, it is way much more relying on CGI. We do not, we no longer have like orcs in costume. We have CGI orcs. We have a ton of CGI goblins. We have CGI trolls. Now, of course, the trolls, I never thought, even if they had done The Hobbit back in 2001, they still would have done CGI trolls for that. And it probably looked more like the troll that's in Harry Potter. looks yeah. just really goofy <laughs> and not, you know, dungeon. you know, although the troll, the troll in Lord of the Rings, that cave troll in Moria is done very well. And then we see more of them, of course, throughout the trilogy. But it's a lot of CGI. And it is that thing about the book because it is smaller they were like we should try to patch in this whole storyline from the pendencies about dogodor and the necromancer who really is like sauron like chilling out in this like you know creepy castle and that plot line through the three films adds a lot of screen time because they were like we need something for gandalf and we're getting christopher lee back to be Saruman and we're getting Kate Blanchett back to be Galadriel. We need something for them to do. Well, what if they go have this like whole battle with the necromancer and his orcs and stuff at this creepy castle. And I'm like, that's cool and all because there is some visually cool moments where like you kind of see what the ring wraiths are going to be without their cloaks having these like spirit battle, I guess you can say, but it does feel like tagged on. And I think had we, the thing is like CGI is expensive. It probably would have cost a lot less just to cast another guy who then is dressed up like the, you know, you could have your main evil white orc with one missing arm. That's the only CGI you have to do is his missing, you know, limb. But they chose to like have a lot of CGI. Where the films do succeed, as you had mentioned, is for me at least, once again, the cast. Martin Freeman leading as Bilbo is brilliant. And Amy Cullen feels right at home back as Gandalf. And all the, all the dwarves are very fun. I feel like some of them get a lot more screen time or more stuff to do than some of them don't really talk very much throughout all three films, but they're all like different enough that like it, it's fun. Orlando Bloom getting to come back as Legolas always made me laugh because he just looks like a beefier version of Legolas because <laughs> he's older and he just looks like he's bigger, but he like gets to do even crazier stuff in this. Evangeline Lilly is great in this. Uh, I love Lee Pace as like the elf king. So like there's great character and a lot of the characters are back. Obviously Andy Serkis back as Gollum for the first film. Uh, Ian Holm coming in as like a cameo, Elijah Wood, all that stuff. And there's, I think the thing is, because the Hobbit is kind of meant more of a children's story. Some of the action scenes are actually over the top on purpose. Like 
I I will die on the hill that that barrel sequence is awesome. It is so ridiculous and it cracks me up. But them going down that river and those barrels and the way Legolas and what's her face are just taking out all these orcs and the way that like like the fat one like bounces off on the side and like it keeps rolling and then he like bounces in a few more orcs and perfectly winds up back in the river. It's just like it's almost like a choreographed dance. Some of the fight scenes that are like, it is fun to see all these dwarves fighting. And it, I think those parts of the film do work very well and how Martin Freeman Frodo and Bilbo are very similar, but like in a way Bilbo is just very like reserved. Like he doesn't want to do it. He maybe used to have adventure in his eye, but now he's kind of lost that. And you see how he becomes addicted to adventure throughout the series and how he, how the ring even turns him. Like, I love that scene in the forest where he, the one like spider baby, I guess you can call it, whatever it is, tries to like get the ring and he's like stabbing it, like going crazy. And he's like, whoa, whoa, what did I just experience? I love that aspect of the films. And I, and I do enjoy going into, because we talked about the animated Hobbit and that was uh, my first introduction to Lord of the Rings at all. I remember watching as a kid and, Gollum and that one freaked me out. So I, I was so excited about, I was so excited about having circus back and having an exchange because I was like, that was what I was looking forward to how that was going to translate on screen. That is a great scene in the film. And that you think too, is this is 10 years later. Gollum looks the best he's ever looked because CGI now is at its prime and he could really do the motion capture. But those are the scenes I think that are enjoyable. And all the middle earth movies are, the action's always very exciting and, and intense and high paced. It's like the talking moments when we have like lore and we have plot going on that really give the characters like room to grow. And, you know, as much as Gollum is an exciting character, I was very excited to see how they were going to do Benedict Cumberbatch as Smog. Because, of course, I love dragons. Who doesn't? Dragons are awesome. Smog is. If, if there's one thing of the Hobbit series, if you're like, you can pick one thing you really like about the Hobbit series, I'd be like, um, it's Smog. <laughs> like, Smog was done very well. They, they really, I think Peter Jackson really was like, we have to make this dragon look huge. It has to have a power to him. There has to be a reason why he is so feared. But then the voice and the character has to make sense too. And the way they modulate his voice in this very deep, booming that whole sequence of him and bilbo and the in the, the the huge mountain there with all the gold i like love that i love that stuff then it gets a little over the top with like okay now now smog is chasing all the dwarves from the mountain and we have to smelt him and all like that's where it's like we had to fill in gaps because this is only the second movie we have to get to the third movie the third movie is table scraps to me that's that's the way <laughs> that's the way i felt about it I saw it in Sydney, Australia. I was on my last cruise contract. And uh, yeah, I just remember, um, <laughs> I remember like there's enjoyable moments, but I was, I was pretty disappointed with the third film because I felt like they had to add a lot to the film, like to, to keep the story going. Because by the time you get to battle five armies, it's like, okay, it's a big battle. And then that's really about it. That's it. Story over. 
And I feel like since it's more geared towards children, that battle scene is not as built up as it could be. And I was kind of, when I was thinking of The Hobbit and having something that's a prequel to Lord of the Rings, I was hoping for like a battle scene, like when the elves and men, like from the beginning of the Lord of the Rings, when they're, when they're working together to defeat uh, the enemy then, like I wanted to see stuff like that in a prequel, you know, having them all join together. And I know that's kind of how they did it in the end, but it just wasn't as much built up anticipation towards that as I think they could have. Because that prologue is one of the coolest things in all the films ever done. And yeah. we don't really get that. And, and I mean, and that, I'm craving that. <laughs> well, that that's, <laughs> what is exciting about that scene is that is how Rings of Power should end. Is we should be at that level by the end of Rings of Power. And that, that that's given me hope. Yes. So I'm like, hopefully if they're taking note, if like we, we they, cause you know, speaking about rings of power, I mean, we're going to go into that just a second here, but I mean, the thing about the Hobbit films is even though, yeah, they're not as good. There's a lot of stuff to still enjoy and they did not need to be three films. Guess how much the three films grossed. Not too shy of Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings did better, but they made, Two billion nine hundred thirty-eight million. So there was still obviously the audience of Middle Earth fans that wanted to come out and see these films. And funny enough, the first movie made the most, so that definitely was the most intrigued. And then it goes down a little bit for Smog, and there was a little bit more. It, there's it's like a three million difference between Smog and Battle of the Five Armies, but they both still made worldwide over nine hundred and. 58 million dollars wow so they made a lot of impressive so like combine of the six films it's like almost six billion dollars for six films which is like insane so the films did very well a lot of people had asked if like oh does that mean that uh like would peter jackson ever take a crack at the similarian you know novel i don't know if you can really film that because it's like little chunks of history throughout all of middle earth and and other parts but maybe one day jackson will want to have a go again at you know something both or as we talked about with so many franchises now as we are seeing right now a series on amazon prime there might be like tv series worth telling within the world of middle earth um you know they could do a whole show that's just hobbits and people would love that. So you're saying that book has like a lot of time jumps in a lot of like, yeah, from my understanding, time. there's, we know middle earth, my understanding of like the world that like he created middle earth is like one area. Then there's like multiple other things, but like, there's a whole, like a lot of that book is about Morgoth who is Sauron's like predecessor and the creation of like, the different like elves and how wizards came to be. And there's a lot. It's a huge, huge, I've never read it. I've always wanted to, um, but I think it's a lot of, it's more like an anthology of, of, of history of Middle Earth. But we do have this rings of power. We've had a bunch of video games that have kind of gone in different directions. Obviously a huge hit was Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War. They kind of talk a little bit about the creation of the ring and and that time era, but we have this rings of power show now. And this was insane to see 
one, it's not going to be Peter Jackson. So this is the first time to have a new director in, you know, 30 years, 20 plus years, you know, of, of one guy really telling the story and a prequel set in the second age with the creation of all these rings. That has been interesting to think of if the prologue, they want to do a five season show and they already kind of know their end shot. And I'm like, well, it has to be how Soren is defeated in the yeah. prologue. That yeah. would be like the end of the show. That, that would be awesome if they ended it with that. That would, I don't, I don't know how they could do it much better with. That would break the time Amazon frame. Prime. That day would. <laughs> That's like the the final uh, two episodes, the penultimate episode, and especially how they're they're releasing it. Because, you know, that's been the interesting thing with streaming now is like some of the shows you get all at once or you're getting it in two parts. We're splitting it season one, season five, part one or part A, part B. But now they're doing this thing where they are doing, oh, we're going to release the first three episodes and now you have to wait every week, which is good because it, it gives you something to look forward to. I think they also did like two off the bat. I think they did two off the bat. And then I think they did one. I think that's just to kind of get you that whole backstory and to get you to watch both those episodes and to get a good feeling of what you're in and not just having you one watch one episode and come back and really don't even have a good grip on anything yet. It helped you really introduce you to the whole thing. Yeah. And it's a, it's a tough thing to follow what's come before everyone has the expectation and the, you know, what's already come. And now you're going to tell a, a new story set in Middle Earth with some characters that we know, but they're much younger. Yeah. Good luck. But Amazon <laughs> was like, well, we're going to give it a budget of five billion gajillion dollars. <laughs> Thank you, okay. Jesus. And that, that, is, that is one thing that I will say of what, you know, we're not going to do spoilers yet for that. We'll talk when we do our review. But what have I seen so far? I've seen seven of the eight episodes. That's, that's you know, what we're recording right now. Uh, the eighth episode comes out this Friday. Of what I've seen so far, visually it is stunning. It is you are you you forget you're watching TV. It feels like you're watching a movie. Uh, uh, the the money is on the screen. It is it does not hold a candle at all to Lord of the Rings in terms of just storytelling. But I think it's getting there. I think it's going to hit its stride by second third season when it really picks up of like. Where is Sauron? Who is Sauron? How is he sneaking around and getting, getting those rings made? That's going to be some intriguing moments. And I think that's kind of cool because really the Lord of the Rings trilogy, we get a little bit of the backstory with the prologue. And, you know, like these rings were made for the dwarves, the elves, the men, but another ring was made in secret. That's really all we know. And then he's this eyeball. We don't know like anything about who he was when he really was like in his prime. So I'm like, that's kind of a cool character to really go into that we've only really seen as like, he is this secret undying evil kind of thing. So I'm excited to see where they go with, with that character and other aspects. And I think having Galadriel be, she's our connected character that we know from this old trilogy where you're like, she's this mystical being and she doesn't really do much, but she has that crazy humor. She's like, I could be a queen. You're like, okay, this girl's crazy. Who was she when she was young? And man, she did a lot of stuff when she was young. So I think there's a lot of promise. There's a lot of hope of how did, how did Middle-earth become the way it did for the third age? And how did all this, how did this all connect the roadmap to the Hobbit that it connected to? Yeah. You know. The Lord of the Rings then, because you, you hear some similar names, like you said, get Galadriel. And then you hear like a seal door, a couple other names that you kind of catch in you, you from the, the other movies, but but um, 
it's kind of neat to see how this is going to end up and transform into what has become the Hobbit. And then after that, and kind of wrap up that storyline and hopefully it does. Cause I know they're kind of separate though. Yeah. There was some uh, stuff they, they couldn't get the rights to some of Tolkien's material. So they are kind of also having to kind of create patches and, you know, kind of make some stuff up, but I'm like, Eh, it's all it's all there i guess you know it, it's cool so i'm digging what it is so far um but it, it needs a needs to hit its stride i think once it does it'll really take off but um yeah middle earth i think the films are all enjoyable lord of the rings the trilogy still holds up so well and i think it will continue to do so but it's fun just to have this escape i think all these movies have this escape feeling of i'm gonna go and just enjoy middle earth for a while and I, I don't have to worry about the real world. And I can just, you know, follow these hobbits and these wizards and these these characters. And they'll have some food and some weed and some ale. And then they'll fight some evil. Yeah. And that's all fun. Hello, little hobbit. Come smoke my ganja. Yeah. All these hobbits are, they must live in California yeah. or, or Colorado. Um, well, Mitch, you know what? We, we thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course, we really could talk all day about yeah, yeah. Things. but before we let you go we're going to get to our guest questions so we yeah. have 10 guest questions here rapid fire they're all about you so it should be fairly easy to answer um i'll start us off could be the one we just talked about but what is your favorite movie overall or in this saga overall overall, overall. yeah um i would have to say lord of the rings two towers second one ah nice good uh, that one will always hold it a deep place. Helm's heart. deep, man. You cannot beat Helm's deep. Harry Potter, the and ending movies of Harry Potter are pretty, pretty heavy in my heart too. Yeah. Okay, cool. So nice. Um, number two, what is your favorite TV series? Game of Thrones. There you go. Are you enjoying House of Dragons so far? Uh, it's not living up to my expectations quite yet, but I think we're getting there. Nice, uh, nice. I, I do like uh, the time jumping in it just because they're covering a lot of time in it. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. That's another one where a lot of expectation, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And with that last, uh, that last a lot season. of disappointment in the end yeah. of the last, yeah. season, last season, too. Yeah. Um, uh, what is the favorite video game or video game series of yours? Um, I really do like uh, Gears of War for um, Xbox, uh, Call of Duty. I like nice. my war. I like my war games, you know, action games. Not a, not a big sports games. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I like, I like my fantasy in that too. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Keeping the realm of fantasy. Uh, number four, what is the favorite style of music or favorite artist of yours? Style of music. I like classic rock, Neil Young, uh, anything, anything around that type of, that type of uh, eras all, all go with me. Nice. What is the favorite place you've traveled to? Uh, I would have to say Jamaica. Oh, nice. Jamaica was awesome. Yaman. Yeah, yeah, Yaman. <laughs> the people down there are so friendly. It's a completely different culture. And um, just the way that you conversate is just it's completely different. It's really cool. I love it. Uh, well, here's a little deep question. Uh, let's get the Helms deep here with you. Um, <laughs> what is something that has inspired you or inspires you to be where you are today? What's an, what's a big inspiration in your life? Uh, I would say family and friends, you know, they always push you to, to become better and do better. And, you know, think of something different, think of something new and, you know, reach for the, reach for the sky. 
Nice. Kind of going off of that, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received or a piece of advice you really take to heart? Uh, I don't have want to go, oh, Michael Scott on you here, but you know, you, you uh, miss 100% of shots you don't take. You know that, right? There you go. <laughs> Wayne Gretzky, um, Wayne, Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. Exactly. You're, you're, you're speaking the right language in this yeah. podcast. Uh, number number eight. Uh, this is this is going to be pretty maybe off the maybe the highest off the charts possible. But what would you deem your nerd level on a scale of one to ten? One, you know very little, but a lot of things. Or ten, you're a super nerd. I'd say I sit around an eight. Right, I'm around an eight. I, you know, I'm not trying to say I know everything, but if I'm into it, I definitely have a decent amount of knowledge. If I if I'm <laughs> interested in it, I I definitely know a decent amount. So. Oh yeah. Uh, what is the guilty pleasure of yours? Uh, going out to have a couple of drinks with Taylor on the weekend. That's, Very nice. That's, that, that's, you feel really rough the next day after doing that. He's always getting that whiskey. That's right. Chris knows as well. I've, I've, we've, we've, had a, we've had a few good nights and we will soon. Um, that's right. And uh, this is uh, one of our, our last questions, one of our favorites, because we always like to see what people do. Um, what is your what is your best impression? Give us like your best impression. It could be of anything. What do you mean? We like elaborate. to do. We like uh, to do an impression like to do, of a character. Okay, uh, so voice like, anything. Do. Like anything. A, my impersonation. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't have one. I'm not really good at that. Um, do a, a quote from a movie you yeah, like? You do a, yeah, you can do a favorite. Quote. Anything. Anything. We've done. We've had, heard, heard animal noises. We've heard all kinds of things. Sisters. Ah, hocus <laughs> pocus. Yeah, okay. Okay. Just in time, just so, yeah. right, as we're recording this, the spooky season is upon us. So yeah, yeah, yeah you, I know you guys watched. I know Taylor watched it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I watched, watched it right it, with him. Yeah. Um. Well, Mitch, if people want to follow you on social media or anything, where should they reach out to you? Instagrams at Mitch Golden. Uh, same thing. Twitter, Mitch Golden. So pretty easy to find me. Great. Fa- Facebook, same as well. There you go. Yep. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast today, talking about Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings, yeah. The Hobbit, all of it. We all love it. It's a great franchise and it's going to continue to be so. And uh, remember, you can go back and watch all of those. I think they're all on HBO Max. You yes, they are. The DVDs. they are. We do recommend you get the extended cut. It's just much better. And uh, right now, of course, you can go check out Rings of Power. We got one more episode coming up. Uh, by the time this comes out, we'll have our review the same week. But um, looking forward to warm Middle Earth. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, we'll bring a, we'll bring another special uh, guest here along with us. So Mitch, we'll yeah. have to have you back on there uh, for Thank our for unexpected journey. Me. Oh yeah, it was uh, it was good to have you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it for joining us, our fellow Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> and now to end our podcast. You shall not <laughs> I had to. Sorry. That was great. That was perfect. And we're out. And we're out. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Potential Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Potential Podcast, or on Twitter at the Potential Pod. Or you can email us. Send us your positive feedback and thoughts, suggestions, and more through our email, the Potential Podcast at yahoo.com. I'm your host, Chris Dewar, and I'm your host, Taylor Sokol. Stay tuned for more episodes on pop culture, entertainment, and nerdum. And remember, know, know your, your potential. potential.